Sports Radio welcomes you to the Lion's Den with your hosts, Michael Heiger and Louis Bellotta. You are listening to the Lions Den here on Impact Sports. How's it going, everybody? My name is Michael Heiger, and I am the host of the Lions Den here for you guys this week. And as and like every week, I'm joined by my co-host Louis Bellotta. What's going on, guys? How are you guys doing? I think they're doing pretty good. Oh yeah, they're doing pretty good. And Chris, bogus. What's up? What's up? Bogstradamus. Bogstradamus. I love the name. Changing the name. Love the name. All right, guys, we are all in a good mood following the Lions' 24-23 win over the New Orleans Saints. We're going to be breaking that game down for you, some impressions that we got out of it. We're going to talk about the Lions now at 6-2. and two. What are some of the... 5-2. and 5-2, excuse me. Getting ahead of yourself with that Atlanta matchup. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Lions are now 5-2, and two, looking ahead to the rest of the schedule, what we can expect from them. We've obviously seen in past seasons, Lions seem to take a bit of a downturn the last few weeks. Are we going to see that again this year? Why or why not? Talk a little bit about the Lions' run game. Uh, Is it something to worry about? And then, of course, we're going to preview next week's matchup against the Atlanta Falcons in London. I don't don't really have any kind of British accent that I can do with that. Uh, Cheers to the governor. Cheers. Ah, cheers. Hello, governor. (laughs) All right. But let's get started. On the Lions 24-23 win over the New Orleans Saints. And guys, it was a game where it was pretty frustrating. Uh, it was one of those where my roommate and I, when we were watching it, middle of fourth quarter, my roommate goes, can I turn this off now? Because Ooh. it was one of those games that you wanted to turn off. Saints got it started, the scoring in the second quarter. First quarter was scoreless. Austin Johnson with a 13-yard touchdown catch from Drew Brees to give the Saints the 7 nothing lead in the second early in the second quarter. And then Matt Prater with the very unorthodox 21-yard field goal off the right upright. Uh, I'd be a little worried there. I watched that, and I didn't even realize it went off the goalpost. Really? Didn't make any kind of... Not in the stadium, no. No? Not in the stadium. Okay, interesting. I'm I, I wanted to go down there and slap Matt Prater myself. That well, was an extra point. Like, he was not far from the field goal at all. Well, what I... What I what I got out of that, and I was asking, I was asking myself after that kick, he was laughing. Why was he laughing? I think he was just like, oh man, it's just I can't help it. You know, it's one of those things. Like he knows he's good, and now he doesn't know why he's not good. Yeah. So you can't help but laugh. He's he's. I think there's a, a stigma going on in the locker room about how there's a curse. I think it's starting to become a stigma, and it's laughable, and it's the only way to. Shake it off. Is it's it... hilarious because they're playing in a dome. It's not like they're playing anywhere where you're getting 25-mile-an-hour gusts of wind that are blowing the ball into the goalpost. I mean, you're, it's a 21-yard field goal with no win. A chip shot. Chip <laughs> shot. And then, of course, Shane Graham comes out to end the first half, and he kicks a 27-yard field goal, and that's also right off the upright. Goes through, but it was the exact mirror image of what Matt Prater had done just a few minutes earlier. So the Saints did a 10-3 lead going into the half, and then extend their lead to 17-3 on a real long uh, 46-yard touchdown pass from Drew Brees to Kenny Stills. 14-point lead at that point. Lions fans are asking what happened to this number one defense that we knew and loved, even though it is the Saints Drew Brees is what happened to the defense the Drew Brees we all is what knew and loved. And 
Lions got back into it, uh, middle of third quarter. Joey Bell got it in on a one-yard touchdown run to make it 17-10. to And then we moved to the fourth quarter, which was a fun fourth quarter. Oh, yes, it was. To say the least. Shane Graham got the scoring started with a 48-yard field goal to give the Saints a 20-10 to lead. And then few eight minutes later... With 5:24 left, gave the Saints a 23 to 10 lead, and that's when you're starting to tell, ask yourself, are, "Do the Lions have any chance?" Only down by 13 points, five and a half minutes left, but with the way that the offense had looked the rest of that game, you really had to doubt whether the Lions' chances to come back. I'll tell you what: after that second field goal, I took my line, my Lions gear off, and oh, I went, I went in did. my room and I threw it on the ground, and I was extremely Ooh. upset with the Lions. If it wasn't a Sunday and the couch was so comfortable, I probably would have gotten off the couch and stopped watching because oh. it was tough to watch. I mean, after that interception by it wasn't even Stafford's fault. It went right off Julian Stanford's hands into the like that's when the Okay, for people I was at the game on Sunday. Yes, I don't yes. know. As I've been kind of saying, but anyways, right when that happened, I'd say 20% of the fans left. Everyone just started filing out right after that interception. I'm, but oh. I stayed. I don't give up. If you would have left, we would have gave you some. Yeah. Lewis, <laughs> what was your impressions of the Lions fans at that game? Because obviously it was a game where, I mean, I was watching from the couch, but the entire game was toying with my emotions. I was angry. Happy yeah, everybody was a little, and... it was a little flat. There wasn't a whole lot of cheering in that third quarter. It was, it was very flat. People were getting frustrated. And especially, even towards the end of the game, there in that last 10 minutes, uh, the Lions ran the ball a lot with Joyke Bell. Even in that last final drive, they ran the ball a lot. And everybody around me was getting really frustrated. They just wanted them to keep throwing it to keep, you know, to get down the field for the mm-hmm. touchdown because every run was up the middle for a yard, up the middle for two yards. And that's, that wasn't getting them anywhere. And that's something we're going to talk about a little bit later. But yeah, everybody was getting pretty frustrated. But the moment Golden Tate had that touchdown, the place went nuts. And it was. It was just as loud as a full house, and it wasn't full. Let's just say that. Everybody was psyched. I was high-fiving people across the across the aisle. It was nuts. Everyone I've, was having a great time. I've never been more animated watching a game. You oh, should yeah. have seen me. It was nuts. That touchdown, that 73-yard touchdown to Golden Tate with 338 left. It lost me my fantasy matchup, but I didn't care Oh, at that it doesn't point. matter. Lions always trump fantasy. They do. So, they do. It's the truth. So, of course, 73-yard touchdown to Golden Tate. But the Saints have the ball back, or had the chance to run out the clock. And then third down and nine, Drew Brees decides to throw the ball. I want to know from you guys, what were you, think, what were you thinking when Drew Brees threw the ball? They were going for points. Oh, they They didn't... thought they could do it. They, they, they pretty much slightly had their way with a Lions defense that people haven't had all year. So I think they were just like, hey... This is either going to be a, a three-point... You know, they, they were just... They wanted the points. They wanted to seal it up because they didn't think the Lions' offense could do anything. So that, I'm pretty sure that's why he threw the ball. And, I'm, of course, the risky run when you throw the ball is you throw a pick. And that's exactly what happened. Glover Quinn with the interception. Clutch. Clutch, clutch, clutch interception. Chris, I want to know your thoughts on Breeze throwing the ball in third and nine, risking for that interception. You... If you're Sean Payton, coach, calling plays, one of the only head coaches in the game calling plays, you're not going to let Drew Brees throw the ball who's been commanding the whole entire game on third and nine. You want to punt. You want to run against a team that has held you to less than 60 yards all game and uh, punt the ball to Matt Stafford who was heating up in the fourth quarter. No way. You're going to throw it. You're going to play aggressive. Drew Brees had 
not one single error the whole game. And fortunately for the Lions, he threw that pick there. I, I, I don't, I'm, I w- if I was a Saints fan, I wouldn't be mad at Sean Payton for calling that play. Well, here's where I'd argue against you. Yes, Breeze had looked excellent, but you have to let the Lions lose one of their two timeouts that they had left. Not only did they have the timeouts left, but there was three minutes left on the clock. You could have run some clock down. They might not have even used their timeout. Then the Lions get, you're punting the ball. Lions get the ball at around, you would have, the Lions would get the ball around the Saints 20, 30 yard line, yard yard line you would think their own 20 30 yard line i mean and they would still have to go 40 50 yards down the field at least to get in the end zone well, so i think the amount of time that they had left wouldn't have mattered because the two minute warning was in the lion's favor so they still would have had the clock stopped yeah the two minute warning was in their favor but you have to trust your defense and i know that the saints don't have the greatest defense in the nfl but at that point when time is running short and you have a quarterback who and Matt Stafford, who hasn't always looked great in clutch situations, hasn't always been known to make the game-winning drive. Yes, he has a couple times, but you have to trust your defense there. And even if you don't want to run the ball, and you want to give yourself a better chance at a first down, don't try and throw the ball through two defenders to get it to your wide receiver. You have to play more safely there, because that was too risky of a play. That, that was where Drew Brees made his mistake. His all-game, I think he only got sacked one time. He was really not letting the Lions get him to the ground. His jersey was kept clean all game, and that's how he forced that interception. He did not. He didn't want to take the sack. He didn't want to take the loss, and he forced it. Drew Brees is a quarterback who rarely gets sacked, and the Lions were able to get one on him, and that and that looked pretty good because Brees doesn't get sacked a lot. He's usually somebody who's able to avoid getting sacked, and so the fact that the Lions were even able to get one off of all the quarterback rushes that they've had on him, it, it was a good sign. And, of course, that final drive, we haven't gotten into that yet. Uh, the best part of the game. The best part of the game. How could I forget? Um, Lions had the ball around the 20-yard line, I believe, after the interception, around 17, 18-yard line, and they go three and out, four and out, and you're wondering, is the game over? Oh, gosh. I thought the game was over, I, and then you see it, the flag. Oh, my gosh. It was nuts. And plus, the best part of that, it was bush on bush. It was a bush on bush It crime. was a bush on bush drive. <laughs> was that his cousin? Wasn't that his cousin or it something? It it plus, be. he was wearing 25, like it was Reggie Bush from 2007, yeah. like playing on the defense. See, I think if they were cousins, <laughs> they would have probably brought something up in the broadcast. And they I thought ESPN like mentioned bush. that it was like Mega Bush. <laughs> no, Nega. Oh. <laughs> All right, we're not going to go there. But, yeah, I don't know. I thought they were. I thought I heard somebody say on ESPN they were cousins. Regardless, I thought it was hilarious that Bush threw a flag on Bush. Was it the right call? Oh, yeah. yeah I saw it. I, I was going to here's the thing though it was the right (laughs) call for that game because the refs were flag happy the whole game on both sides that was very frustrating and so i think for them not to call that would have been absolutely absurd because that would have changed their whole mentality that they had for the the beginning of the game where all they did was throw flags for just anything any kind of contact but you know what props to the ref for throwing the flag because a lot of times in that situation they let them play deciding call they let them play and so I think it was that obvious of a call oh. where you have to call it. And props of the props on the ref for seeing that call, deciding to give the Lions a first down and keeping them in the game, which, of course, led to Corey Fuller 
getting the five-yard touchdown pass. The before that, catch. Kyle Fuller dropped the touchdown pass. You guys, I don't know. He was on the goal line, and he let it come out of his hands. Oh. I was so mad. Yeah. But he made up for it. I was ready for Corey Fuller to get sent out of town. Oh, yeah. But, but he made up for he it. He redeemed himself. Stafford made sure that he redeemed it. Yep. Absolutely. And then, of course, the part that I wanted to talk about, Breed still had two, three timeouts going into that final drive with a minute and a half left to go, and all they need is a field goal. And that was one of the first times where I was not worried about the Lions' defense giving it up because that's something that this this is a team that would do that. Oh yeah. Last year, year before, you're playing Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. They have a minute and a half and two timeouts, and all they need is a field goal. Oh, the game is over. I mean, I was worried just because they they let it happen against the Bills, though. They did, but and that was Kyle Orton of all people. But this Lions' defense. That and, game has been erased from my memory, by the way. I, I'm trying to forget about that game. Yeah, you guys forgot about it in the last podcast. When we, we did. There, though. We did. <laughs> Error. Three and one at home. Yeah. They, they blew such a big lead, I actually thought the game was on the road because yeah. you're not supposed to do that at home. This is true. But, guys, I I was not worried about this Lions defense. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this is, a t- this is one of the few times that I've ever not been – untrusting of the Lions defense. And I knew that they were going to get the Saints off the field. They held them to a three and out and it it looked great. And I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but at the end of that game, the defense came up clutch. They did come up clutch, but I, unlike you, Higer, I was a little worried one because when they needed that third down stop, they let Drew Brees run for 10 yards, which I'm pretty sure nobody I, was expecting. Yeah, I called that, no, just, I called oh, that by right, the way. Well, hey. I, I knew it was going to happen. They were playing way too far back. They knew Drew, Drew Brees was going to go for the deep ball, and he was. Yeah. And he realized the empty space in the middle of the field and took it. But, uh, but Great vision. Just because of the yeah. Bills game, I was worried. and I mean, I wasn't as worried as in years past because it's definitely it's a defense you should trust. But just because of that game, and it was at home, and it was against like, a worse quarterback, I did have that in the back of my mind like, I don't know. They could let it up. But you know who came in the clutch? Who I think right now is the Lions' defensive MVP right now. My man, George Johnson. George Johnson. Johnson. He is leading the team with four sacks. George Johnson has looked great for the defensive line this year. And it really goes into the depth that they have there. And I think that's why this defensive line has been so successful. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. But when you're... But when you're bringing guys in and out and you're able to trust the guys that you're bringing onto the field, whether it's a Jason Jones, a Daryl Tapp, Ziggy Ansah. Daryl Tapp had a big play. Z- Daryl Tapp did have a big play. And these guys that they're bringing in there, you can bring them onto the field and you can trust them. George Johnson, nobody knew who he was going into the season. He was pretty much a nobody. He was. Along with Daryl Tapp. He still Tapp. is a nobody. Where is he? I don't know. Where is he from? You who know is where George from? Johnson? It's his third season. He's from Rutgers. Okay. There you go. Well, I got something for you. The reason George Johnson is doing so well is because if you are an offensive line planning for the the Lions, you're going to shade your your protection. You're going to shade it in favor of stopping Sue, stopping Fairley, stopping Ziggy Ansah. Who does that leave wide open? George Johnson, Jason Jones, Daryl Tatt. Also, real quick, he's from the Buccaneers, and he's never done anything close to this in the two prior years that he played. If you put yourself, Higer, or me in that sp- spot, we could get a sack a game. I don't know. I know. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm overreaching a little bit. You but are overreaching, I'm but my I, point I got across. you. I got you. That fourth man is going to be in the, in the shadow of the Giants next to him oh, for yeah. the rest of the season, and he's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing, which is making the play on the other side of the line. 
It just shows you that even though the st- on the stat sheet, Sue and Fairley aren't really lighting it up like Pro Bowl caliber players, they are making a difference, a huge oh, difference. Yeah. And you know what? It's not even the st- – I think Sue is starting to light it up on the stat sheet a little bit. He leads the league in quarterback rushes. Does he? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's not getting the sacks. But and he's getting he's double teamed on the every single play. And you watch him, it's just nasty the way he overpowers everyone in front of him. He did have a nasty play. I saw it on the big board when I was there. He just shoved an O-lineman aside and then just grabbed here, Thomas. Oh, guess, yeah. Guess who's yep. second in the league in, NFL, in quarterback rushes, by the way? George Johnson. Ziggy Anson. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Look at that. They're, so, playing, they're playing off each other, and that's why they're the number one rushing defense in the league. Absolutely. And I think it has to go, once again, to the depth. This is why they're the number one defense in the NFL. You didn't have this depth before. And where does depth come from? It comes from coaching. And it comes from coaches learning how to coach their players and when to have them in for the right place. Because here's some other guys who never did anything before they came to the Lions between Danny Gore, Cassius Vaughn, Issa abdul Kadus. I just really like Team saying. captain. Oh, yeah. Team captain, by uh-huh. the way. Tahir Whitehead, where did he come from? I mean... You lost Steven Tolek, who was – I know he wasn't the best player in that defense, but he was the leader of that defense. He was the middle linebacker. He was a guy who didn't screw up. He didn't screw up. And you could count on him consistently to produce for you in the middle side of the, in the middle of that front seven. So when he went out, it was a major blow. But with, when, you, when you're able to fish guys in, like to hear Whitehead, and you're able to coach them, and you're able to have them learn the system and learn how to make these plays – it has to fall on the coaching staff. It guys. definitely does. Mm-hmm. I would totally agree with you. This is a, this is all on the coaching staff, and the players perform to their highest ability when the coaches know what they're doing. Just basically what you said. This win could be the one of the biggest wins in the Lions' 2014 campaign. I could because it shows how important the coaching staff was. Because Drew Brees played, he he pitched a perfect game almost until the very last seconds. He did exactly what I said he was going to do, throw two touchdowns, 300 yards, a very Drew Brees-esque game. He did that, and they still lost because the Lions were able to hold their crowded backfield of Mark Ingram, Kyrie Robinson, and Pierre Thomas to 60 yards. The only reason they got 73 yards, the Saints got 73 yards in the game, was Drew Brees' 13-yard run in the last uh, few plays of the game. They would have been held to 60 yards, and that's... Perfect. The Lions are playing perfect run run defense. Despite the record that the Lions have right now, sometimes I watch these games and they remind me of the Spartans football team with Andrew Maxwell as quarterback, where they had a dominant defense, but their offense wasn't so great, and they couldn't really pull it out, but the defense always backed them up. During some parts of the game, does it not, does it not look like that, where the defense just takes over the game and the offense just sits there and sputters? No, because when I watch Matthew Stafford, I don't see Andrew Maxwell. Where... This is very yeah. true. But yeah. I, I, I wasn't trying to combine the two. I was just saying as a whole. Like, during that those first three quarters, they could not get anything going at all. But yet the defense just kept hanging them in there, hanging them There's in there. There's only two things that I'm worried about on this offense, and that is, one, the offensive line, which is undisputed the number one problem right now, and two, Joe Lombardi's play calling. Other than that, I think the Lions are very close to a great offense. And Calvin Johnson isn't even playing. This is true. Well, I think the thing that worries me most on this offense is, and part of this goes into the play calling in the offensive line, is the running game. Because Reggie Bush, guys, has looked awful this year. Some but of it's how- on injuries. He, was, he, he wasn't he was 100% and he went out of the game. He claimed through. he was 100%. I think he, got ding- I think he got hit pretty hard, though. 
Maybe. Speaking of getting Maybe. hit hard, did you guys see Pierre Thomas just get destroyed by Glover Quinn? He's out for a couple yeah. weeks. Yeah, oh, yeah, he got destroyed. He just like he just laid there on Glover the sideline. Glover Quinn is playing lights out football, and it is amazing to watch. It is great to watch with him and a hag to bow back there. You can throw Abdul Kadus in there, my guy. It's, <laughs> and, <laughs> my guy. Um, it is a great combo back there. Yeah. Something the Lions haven't had since Dre Bly. A also doesn't he have a sack in each game? I, I believe. I he believe does. he does. But getting into getting into Reggie, I want to get it back into Reggie Bush real quick. Pretty much sack, two sacks and a half a sack. So close. I want to continue. I wanted to get back into Reggie Bush because this was something when I was watching the game, and I, I'm just looking at his stats now for the season, and they're awful. They're not flat. 49 carries, 171 yards, and a touchdown. 171 yards through. Yes, he's played what six games because he lost. He was out with the injury. But, guys, he and Bell, what does this fall on? Does this fall on their running ability, or does it fall on the run blocking? I think it falls on the run blocking. I mean, if if the offensive line is having just as big a problem as keeping Stafford upright, I can't imagine they're blocking too well for Bush and Bell. I was amazed watching that game, seeing guys run right by Larry Warford. And here was Larry Warford, who was one of the best rookies in the NFL last year. I thought if he he had played – because he doesn't play at a skill position, he could have won Offensive Rookie of the Year. Absolutely. He should have won something. He played amazing. And people were picking him to be an All-Pro this year. And guys were just running right by him. And I don't know what it is. I think it's the O-line. I think that's just the Achilles heel of this team right now is the O-line. Not injuries, but the O-line. You know what I think it is? I've seen Dominic Riola drop the ball a few times. And I think that he is not as great as we want him to be. And as someone who... Yeah, exactly. And he's undersized. He he's overstayed his welcome, I believe. And I agree. I I would say that you know before he snaps the ball, he calls out the mic, or you know Matt Stafford does, and he calls where the protection should slide. And I think he's getting things confused. I think that's where there's a little bit of a weakness. So is it time to let him go? Bring and, in the rookie. Absolutely. You yep. can't you can't let Dominic Mariola continue to linger. They need to. I mean, personal opinion, make a trade. They can't wait for a rookie to develop at the the, the pace they're at. They need they need to get a trades. A don't happen much in the NFL. And and you know the for, no, no, they, so they won't do it with a guy like Rayola who's been in the league for. They're not going to just can not like not that. this year. I'm saying they should do something to bolster up that offensive line while they have the talent that they have right now. Well, they they won't be able to address it immediately in the draft. Hate to break your heart, he's staying. He's staying, and it worries me because it's not just him. It's Reef. It's Waddle. It's Warford. These were young. These are young talents that, going into the season, you thought we were the strong point of this team, and we had never really talked about the offensive line being the strong point of the Lions team. You talk Lions offensive line; it's like talking about Tigers bullpen. You never. People always were saying we need to draft another offensive lineman. We need to draft another offensive lineman, and until last year, it was a lingering problem. And when you got when you saw guys like Warford and Waddle step up last year. You're not seeing it again. And- I'm not, I hate to interrupt you, but I, I don't think it's anything to worry. We know it's there. We saw it's there. It's just got to take a, a coaching adjustment and just it, maybe it's just a sophomore slump or the chemistry isn't there it, right yet. Yeah, that but was I, the it, term I wanted to use was sophomore slump. Exactly yeah, the whole, what you said, line, coaching yeah. adjustment. I, I believe that you know the defense has adjusted to where they are a well-oiled machine and Jim Caldwell as overall game manager holding the team together is doing a great job. I still think this is Joe Lombardi. I don't think he's into his role yet, and that's my argument. 
I think he needs to get used to what he's doing and get better because uh, they should be able to hide their weaknesses. If You know, Terrell Austin hides their weakness. Their weakness is still the secondary. It's still their cornerbacks. Darius Slay is good. Rasheen Mathis is good. But it's not their strength. Their strength is the line. The reason they're looking so great is because they're stopping the run game and they're getting to the quarterback and making them throw stupid throws. That's why the secondary is looking better. Drew Brees obviously showed that the secondary is not the Legion of Boom. It's not Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor back there. It's not like that. The strength is the line. Uh, Alternatively, on the offense, their strength is the receiving core. They need to be able to do the West Coast offense-type plays, quick slants, quick throws, get Matthew Stafford off the ground. Don't let him get hit. Make the line look better than it is. Hide those weaknesses. That's what Joe Lombardi needs to do. So would you blame... Reggie Bush and Joey Bell not even averaging three and a half yards per carry on the play calling because it seems like a lot of the calls that we've seen are pretty predictable, running right up the middle, right through the line. And even my roommate, who's not even a big football fan, he keeps on yelling at the TV, why are you running up the middle? Yeah, because you're not. this isn't Barry Sanders. Like, they're literally running into nothing. Mm -hmm. They're running into nothing, and that's why they're averaging – just above three yards to carry because even on that last drive everybody in the stadium was like why are you running the ball because it was just bell for a yard bell for a yard and nothing was happening and i i I get what they were trying to do hopefully he was just going to break through at some point but it's not going to happen you have the two-headed monster and you're not using it you have to run plays where both of them are in the backfield and you have creative runs off the side you know off the tackle fake here up here, up the middle. You, I mean, runs up the middle are going to happen. That's just football. That's how, that's how plays work. You're going to run up the middle. But in order to have plays up the middle work, you have to have the creative outside runs work. You have to have the fakes work. One more quick thing on on this this whole running situation. It and we said this in the beginning. It's very predictable. Yeah. There's not very. one point where they run and like you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Like, you know. If a fan can tell the moment Stafford takes a step back that it's going to be a run, the defense is no even quicker than that. Another it's reason the- Reggie Bush is doing so bad, is, I don't know if you guys notice this, every time he gets in the open field, he does that whole stop and wiggle his knees and then make his move. And that's why his runs up the middle don't work, because when he has his hole, he does that He does that crap. I hate watching it. Sorry about You know, <laughs> it's it's just not good. That's why Joy Bell is having a better game, because we're running – the, the lines are running a conservative run straight up the middle. Joey Bell's better downhill. Reggie Bush is better on the outside. And they're not. He's not doing well because they're not calling Reggie Bush type plays. I see. You said that you would call the running game predictable, and before you said that, I was ready to say this entire Lions offense is predictable. You have Stafford staring down guys, not really spreading the ball around the field, and I don't know how much that goes into Calvin Johnson not being out there. But look how many targets Golden Tate saw, and he wasn't even able to hold on to all of them. He had some of the best hands in the league because they were blanketing him. You knew when the ball was going to Golden Tate, and he still had a phenomenal game. Ten catches, 154 yards, and a touchdown. But, guys, this entire offense looks predictable. And do you guys miss Scott Linehan a little bit? Because no, no. Absolutely Because look at what not. he's done with that Cowboys offense. No. I mean, they're six he's, and one guys. They are, and the Lions should be six and one as well. If it wasn't for a long the, field goal, the reason the Kyle Cow- <laughs> the real the reason the Cowboys offense is doing so well is because of the way Rod Marinelli is coaching offensive line. Rod also the, Marinelli. Also, the Dallas Cowboys have a healthy Des Bryant. 
The Lions and, don't have a healthy Calvin and Johnson. And they also have a DeMarco Murray, who is, you know, I don't want to say it, but better than Reggie Bush and Joyke Bell. Have you guys noticed how successful former Lions coaches have been after they've left the Lions? You look at a Marinelli, a Linehan, Schwartz getting carried off the field on his players' sh- on his players' uh, shoulder- shoulders. Excuse me. But say that three times fast. Shoulders, shoulders, shoulders. <laughs> I mean, the one who's uh, not so successful is the uh, Jets offensive coordinator. That is true. Jets offense is a complete mess. I'm blanking on his name right now. Marty Morning. Marty Morning. There you go. Yes. Say that three times fast. Uh, <laughs> Marty Morning. Wag, Marty Morning. Wag, Marty Morning. Wag. No, but the these ex Lions coaches are in, inheriting better situations. The that line that Matt Millenaro Lions team it, it's sad, and the fact that all these good coaches wasted their time trying to bring them out of a hole. The darn were the, millennium. Were the Cowboys really a better situation than what the Lions are now? I think with if with the playmakers that they have on the field, they shouldn't be a middle of the pack offense. And right now they are climbing up though. They're 13th right now, whereas last week they were probably 17th. And before that, not they're climbing. And Megatron, it, no matter what, it always comes back. The best player is not on the field right now. Just look at the Bengals. AJ Green's not out there. They look terrible. They they didn't even score. They didn't score. But. Chris, you said they're climbing, but look at the teams that they're climbing against. And they're not even good defenses, and they're hardly even climbing. You're going against the Packers, the Jets, the Bills, the Vikings, the Saints. These aren't top-tier defenses baby that steps. you're playing. And I know it's baby steps, but when since week one, you haven't scored more than 24 points. And going into the season, this was a team you were saying you have to win ballgames 42-37. to 37, And otherwise, you're not going to win the game. And... I know that this defense has stepped up and really saved the Lions' season, but how long can this keep on going where the Lions are only putting up 17, 20 points a game? Because pretty soon you're going to be going against some pretty stout defenses in Arizona and New England and even Chicago. It'll all be well by week 10. The bye week will the get bye week every, will help Everyone will be rested. I think the Miami... The Lions coming back home November 9th against Miami. I think it's going to be a nice little refresher for the team, and they'll get it all together. If Miami the, defense that completely tore apart the Chicago Bears. Yeah, the Chicago Bears the are in Chicago, turmoil, though. Oh. Their, 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 their mantra, their locker room is not good right Hang now. Hang on. Let, let me sit back and watch you guys talk about how not good the Bears are because I've been waiting for this all this season. true. I mean, you have Brandon Marshall yelling at, us, yelling at everybody in the locker room. The Lions don't have that. I think that's so. why. I think Cutler deserves to be yelled at by his players. Cause... Well, <laughs> Nobody likes Jay Cutler, but nobody still. likes Jay Cutler. Nobody <laughs> Not even ever Brandon has. Marshall. Exactly. I don't know what Jay Cutler did to like just make everyone in America hate him, but Jay Cutler—it's his is, face. He's got one of those faces. I he, he has one of those. Yeah. It's one of those dumb faces where he, <laughs> no. he always has like that dumb look on his face. Yeah, but. no more. But the, just what, whatever Miami did to Chicago is not representative of what Miami could do to Detroit. Why I don't, not? Why not? Because they're completely two different teams. I think they have very similar offenses. They do have Who? very similar offenses, but Bears and the Lions. But they, I agree with no. Higer. But on the on the other hand, here the teams itself as a whole, I think Chicago is on the verge of falling apart. Where the Lions have been put together again. But this offense is on the verge of falling apart a little bit. If but, the Lions had not come back and won that game, if Corey Fuller lands out of bounds on that touchdown catch, we're talking about a completely different Lions team here. We are. I'm I'm waiting for I I'm I'm serious guys. If if the Lions offense continues to fail and it ruins their season, Joe Lombardi needs to be out of here. 
because it cannot continue to come down on Matthew Stafford's shoulders. Yeah, he doesn't play as great sometimes, but he's not in a great play-calling situation. They're not helping him. He's not getting help. Well, the thing here, well, hold, oh, real quick, Hager, the thing is, what you just said, you're like, oh, what if Kyle Fuller and what if they didn't get together? But the thing was, they did. They did get it together. Kyle Fuller did come in bounds. He had the awareness to get two Corey. feet in. Corey, not Kyle, not his brother, uh-huh. in Chicago, which we're comparing, ironically enough. But they did get it all done, and that's the thing. Chicago can't get it all done. Well, and there's no, well the I mean, that's where you're a little bit wrong because in all of Chicago's games, they have scored over 14 points. The, the only way they will win a game is if they win the shootout. The, 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 here's these games. Well, if you score Lose... fewer than 14 points, you're not winning a game in the NFL. Right, but the Lions are. They're, they've scored over 14 points every game that they've won. True, but they've scored less than 14 points in a few games that they've won. Are we talking about the Lions here? No, they've uh, every. The, oh wait, no, yeah, won, that's not scored at least no, seventeen. Yeah, so sorry, confused. sorry, sorry. We're sorry. we're going on a tangent. We're just we lost it. Okay, bring it back. Either way, bring, bring it back. back. The Bears bring are not good. The Bears are not good. <laughs> we can debate the that later when good. they verse the Bears. Well, I wanted to look into the schedule a little bit. Oh, okay. And see, because we are coming up towards the bye week, and next week the Lions have the Falcons, and I know it's a road game, but it's in London, so. Lions actually get a little lucky because one of their uh, eight designated road games is actually at a neutral site. And then you look ahead to the rest of the schedule. And I was doing this with my roommate the other night, looking ahead and seeing how many of these games Lions could possibly win this year. And going into the season, I said the Lions were going to finish 7-9. and I said they were going to lose to both games to the Packers. I was, I'm already wrong about that. I said they were going to lose to Carolina. I was right about that. But I said that they were going to lose to New Orleans, and I was wrong about that. And then you look ahead of the rest of the schedule, and look how things have changed. Because I said beginning of the season, Lions would lose to Atlanta. I think I'm going to be wrong about that. I think if they can win one out of their two between Arizona and New England back-to-back, and one out of their two between Chicago and Green Bay back-to-back on the road. You firing up that 11-5 and Express? I'm firing up the 12-4 and four. Express. That's what I like. Because look at these games that you have in between. You've got Atlanta. You've got Miami. Those are games you should win. You've got Chicago at home on Thanksgiving. Another game you should win. And I hope they'll win because I'll be there. Thank you. Um, You have three games in a row at home, actually, against Chicago, Tampa, and Minnesota. Are you going to tell me they can't win all three of those games? Tampa coming on extended rest because Thanksgiving is on a Thursday. Hey, as long as uh, as long as Chicago keeps the way they're going, all of this is real, and it's and it it's definitely something to think about. But Chicago isn't. I mean, yeah, they're bad now, but we had the same conversation happen last year at the bye week. You looked at the Lions' schedule; they had the best favorable schedule yeah. in the whole NFL. Giants, but what, Tampa Bay, but Steelers. What happened? All those teams got it together. You want to know what happened? Gra- granted, this, the Lions also fell apart. Jim Shorts happened. Jim Shorts happened, yeah. Good old Jim Shorts. He smelled it up. But anyways, strength of schedule at the bye week doesn't matter because teams can still turn it around. They can turn it around. I'll tell you the three toughest teams they're going to be facing, and they're all road games. At Arizona, at New England, at Green Bay. It, those are is, their hardest games. This is true, but like I just said... You never know. Tampa could all of a sudden get hot at the end of the season and be some rel- be some legitimate playoff killer. But here's the thing, guys. I think we're looking at a season where I don't think 11-5 and 5 necessarily gets you into the playoffs. Usually it's a guarantee. 
But you look at some of these teams that the Lions are competing against in the NFC. First of all, you're going against Green Bay in the division. You fall to Green Bay in the division, and you're looking at the wild card. In the wild card, two teams make it, of course. So let's look at it a little bit. NFC East. Are you going to tell me that not one of the Cowboys in playoffs are going to get that wild card spot? Oh, I, was I mean, if it comes, this. I was talking about this uh, yesterday, in fact, and I think that it's very reasonable to expect the Lions and the Cowboys to be the playoff matchup. I think if, it's if if they both make the playoffs, I think that will be the matchup. I, I think it's possible, but you have to look at the rest of the teams that can make it. You're looking then at the NFC West. Niners and Hawks and Cardinals. Niners and Hawks and Cardinals. This is true. So all of a sudden Seattle gets hot, which is obviously very possible. San Fran can get hot, also very possible. I think Arizona will come away with that division. But guys, this this wild card is no guarantee. And I don't think a playoff spot is it's, any guarantee. It's not oh, a, no, it's definitely five. not if, a guarantee. Even at 11 and if 5. If the Lions do go 12 and 4, like you say, though, the wild card is almost a lock. It's not only the wild four? card is a lock. I think the division will be a lock, and I think they'll get a first round. Okay, five. the only sketchy thing about Ooh. that is that if, if, they, if the Lions cannot win at Lambeau, Green Bay has a tiebreaker over Carolina and. Do they play Buffalo this year? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Green oh, Bay. and Miami. Yeah. If we don't beat Miami, that's another tiebreaker, which we should beat Miami. But um, the Lions, the the, the NFC uh, North and the NFC East are looking at the wild card spots, I believe, because I think they, they're they in a, a spot where they can do better than the NFC West, grabbing those wild card spots. NFC West is going to – they have a way harder, more difficult – division to battle it out more which means there will be more losses more middle of the pack records at you know eight and eight nine nine and seven whereas you get to beat up on minnesota and chicago chicago i don't think chicago is good guys what a great year to have to play the nfc south yeah very true you're looking at carolina's in first in that division at three three and one (laughs) followed by new orleans at two and four atlanta two and five and tampa at one and five that's not only – that's the worst division in football. Tampa's still in no it. No doubt. And Tampa's still in it. And they – and I think they're the worst team in the NFL. Worse than even the Oakland Raiders. The Guys, Raiders. this division is awful. So, Lions are in that division. I think they already have it locked up. So, great year to have to play the NFC South. Very Lions true. got kind of lucky with that. Where A lot of teams – I know they lost to Carolina, but the other teams that division were not able to step up and – make more jumps from where they were last year. I, I have a, I have an issue with the sidetrack a little bit. The power rankings. Green Bay is off the charts. On, on NFL.com, he, uh, the Packers are number four, just behind the Eagles, Cowboys, and Broncos, ahead of the Colts, Cardinals, Chargers, Ravens, Seahawks, and Patriots, and the Lions at 11. The Lions, who held Aaron Rodgers to... Seven points. Aaron Rodgers, who has lit up every single team he has played. Why are the Packers ranked so much higher than the Lions? Because it's Aaron Rodgers. They're a better football team? And they're a better football team. Not well, on the defensive a, side. If they're a better football team, then how come Dude, they could it's not right here. the it's all, Okay, power rankings, they don't mean much of anything. They're all about glitz and glamour. And the Packers are more glamorous than the Lions. Mm-hmm. When you're winning football I'm games... Not gonna, that's great. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that. That's for real. Here's the thing. <laughs> Every single Lions games beside every single Lions game has been somewhat close besides week one. And you're looking at wins they've had thirty eight seventeen over Chicago. At Chicago. 
42 to 10 over Minnesota. Ooh. 38-17 over Carolina. You want to say the Lions beat the Packers? How come the how come the Packers were able to go and beat Carolina by 18 points? Week 2 at Carolina, the 21 points, excuse me. Yeah, well, a game where the Lions also second week into the season in Charlotte, three turnovers whereas the Green Green Bay gets to host the Panthers. The Panthers team that's slipping just comes off of a tiebreaker with the Bengals. It's like Look, it's just all hey, it's like it's all glitz and glamour and the Packers have well, way more it, blows and, than the Lions and lot, do. And a lot of it too is what have you done for me lately? And the Packers have looked a lot better lately than the Lions have. I know the Lions have come out with wins, but the Packers have blown out the teams they played and they even beat a I think a pretty good Miami team in Miami 27-24. Yeah, barely. Barely beat. Barely. And I think Miami's a good football team. I don't think they're any team to sleep on even after the bye. No, I don't either. I'm not saying that, but okay, they blew out Chicago. Terrible defense. Blew out Minnesota. Terrible team. They barely beat the Jets. They only beat the Jets by a score. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. If it's all glitz and glamour, why can't edit or uh writers just add in an extra sentence? Oh, don't forget uh Aaron Rodgers, the prolific Quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, was held to seven points by this Detroit defense. It only takes an extra sentence to show you that Aaron Rodgers is not invincible. Because why should the writers have any reason to trust the Lions after the last two or three years where they've blown it at the end of the season and the Packers haven't? Because the Lions are 5-2. and two. What? So are the national, ri- national writers who are writing power rankings don't look into that right now. They don't. They look at who's more likely to make the playoffs, who's more likely to finish the job at the end of the season, and... I'd say you're wrong if you think it's the Lions. Okay, right after you said twelve and four, though, so I'm not gonna. Go I, I that, think. But... I, I all I'm saying is twelve and four is a very real possibility, but I think the Packers could finish twelve and four also. It will if they if they say that it's all about who's gonna make it to the playoffs, then the Lions should automatically be ahead of the Packers because they're they're over them one and zero against them. They're also undefeated in the division. But well, I don't think the they're gonna power finish. rankings are just bull. They're all. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the perfect word to describe them. It's bull. They're writers giving their opinions. It doesn't mean that one team is necessarily better than the other, even though I do think Green Bay is a better football team than the Lions are. Oh, God. Remember the Lions? Like, Remember when they went to the playoffs for the first time ever? And the power ever. rankings, the power, not ever, for the first time in many years, in 2011, <laughs> The power rankings, I think the Lions were one. CBSSports.com had the Lions ranked one when they were 5-0 and in the whole entire NFL. And I'm pretty sure they weren't the best team that year. Yeah, how'd that year turn out? Missed the playoffs. All right, guys. All right. Fine. No, they made the playoffs that year. Oh, I rest my yeah, they case. They made the playoffs. Yes. Okay. I rest Still, my case. They weren't ranked number one at the end of the yeah. season. Get your warm glass of milk, get the blankets, and put your argument to rest. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If the Lions go out and do the job and beat Atlanta on Sunday, but the Packers lose at New Orleans Sunday night, which I think is a possibility in the Superdome at night, it's going to be loud. Talk about a shootout. Drew Talk Brees versus Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Even though Packers secondary, you can't sleep on, actually is ranked better than the Lions secondary this year. But anyway. That's because they Packers didn't get to. Fall, sh- Packers follow the Saints on Sunday. Lions win. Then we can talk about exchanging them on the power rankings. Until then, until they until they still have the same record, I don't care about who won the game week three. I care about which team is better right now week eight, and that's the Packers. Because 
you were literally inches away from losing that game to the Saints. You were a pass interference call away from losing that game to the Saints. I think I don't think the Lions won that game. I think the Saints lost that game. And I know I sound like I'm being pretty tough on the Lions because obviously I was ecstatic and it was great to see the Lions come out with that win. But I think the Saints lost that game more than the Lions won it. That's very true on Higer's part. I think the Lions just took a little too long to decide to win. But <laughs> real quick, we're going to go in a little bit of a preview on the Lions ne- matchup next week against the Atlanta Falcons. I know we've talked a little bit about it, and now we think it's going to be an easy game. But, guys, this is still one of the better offenses in the NFL, one of the more dynamic offenses in the NFL. And I, don't, and I know their defense is somewhat mediocre, but they're pretty, they're pretty similar to the, to the New Orleans Saints in the way their team is put together. I want to know from you guys, is this a gimme win? I got it right here. I was watching ESPN this morning, and they showed the highlights for the... Uh, oh, no, this is not this morning. Yes, my days are all mixed up. But they showed the highlights of the Falcons-Ravens game. One, the Falcons' second-string center went down in that game. So during this game in London, their starting center will be their third-string center. They're probably a practice not only, squad. Player. Probably a practice squad guy. Not only that, they showed several different times... Where Matt Flynn did, or not Matt, Matt Ryan, not Matt oh, Flynn. Oh, goodness. I wish it was Where Matt, Matt Ryan had under three seconds in the pocket to get the ball out, and he was sacked every single time. Guys, this is going to be exactly like the Minnesota game. There's going to be sacks galore. The Falcons' offensive line is horrendous, and the Lions' defensive line is going to eat them up. So you think that they could hold them to three points like they did against Minnesota? Not three, but I would say no more than 14. No more than 14? Guys, we're going to get into our predictions in a couple minutes as we finish up the show, but everyone's saying that this win is a gimme win, but you still have to go there and take care of business, and at this point, I don't know if you can trust the Lions to do that after you saw what they did against the New Orleans Saints. I'm not worried at all. I disagree. I think the Lions are on fire right now. I'm not worried at all. Even though there's Julio Jones, even though there's Roddy White, even though there's Matt Ryan, the offensive line is nothing, and the defense is non-existent, which therefore equals a Lions victory. Lewis just provided us with the great bit of evidence. If Matt Ryan can't throw the ball, Matt Ryan cannot win because Steven Jackson isn't going to run all over us. No one can run over 60 yards on the Lions. All right, well, we're going to finish up the show like we do every week. I kind of know where your guys' predictions are heading. But Chris, I want to start with I want to start with you. Your score prediction: Lions Saints, Week Eight, Wembley Stadium in London. Go, oi mate! Did I say Saints? I meant oi mate! Oi, oh, oh, that's Australian, well, yeah, isn't Australian. it? Well, if it was in Australia, it's not though. All right, Lions twenty-four, Falcons ten. That's Bogstradamus speaking. Bogstradamus, who's I'm, I've been pretty on point so far. So. I'm going Lions twenty, Falcons ten. Both holding the Falcons to 10 points, I, I hear. Uh-huh. I'm going... Copycat League. Lions, 27. Falcons, 20. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Shootout for the governor? Shootout. Shoot. Cheers well, those the are governor. our predictions. <laughs> Guys, I want to thank you all. And just a real quick tidbit of news that Lewis threw at me before the show started... Former Spartan tight end Kellen Lewis... Davis. Davis, excuse me. <laughs> Kellen Davis... Sign a contract with the Detroit Lions. Something to worry about, possibly look ahead to. Maybe with the Lions' tight end injuries. Who knows how long Fourier and Ebron will be out. But I wanted to thank everybody for listening to the Lions Den here on Impact Sports. I want to thank my co-hosts, Chris Bogus and Louis Bellata. It was a treat. Oh, yeah. Yep. I should say, 
Bogstradamus. Bogstradamus. Thank, Thank you guys for listening. I'm your host, Michael Heiger. Come back next week for a special bi-week edition of the Lion's Den. And as always, Go Lions!